You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Habercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me in Southampton, England is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. And Jonathan, we are here to preview the Olympic Mixed Doubles competition. It's the first event of the Olympics and for the curling purist, probably the one they care about the least. And for the people kind of parachuting in to watch curling once every four years. I I think it's the one that kind of intrigues them the most, almost. I know it does for your mom, right? We talk about that a lot, that your mom, mom loves mixed doubles. She she loves mixed doubles, and she loves John Morris, and she's probably watched John Morris play mixed doubles more than she's watched me curl. So, <laughs> so she's going to enjoy the mixed doubles competition at the Olympics. She loves it. I, I think this is why... Non-curlers like it because it's fast-paced, it's high-scoring, and it's over very quickly, right? Which is what it was designed to be. It's a, it was actually a made-for-TV event initially for the Continental Cup and then introduced to the Olympics. So it was kind of created specifically to be an engaging TV format. And it's been interesting to see the evolution of mixed doubles, especially in the last four years now that it's a part of the Olympic program and where we've seen this discipline go. And it's really an interesting tournament for me in Beijing because you have this mix of players who are really committed to mixed doubles, maybe more so than they are the four-person game. And then you also have this mixture of, of teams that are people who are just really great shooters who focus more on the four-person game, but then get put together, uh, to create a mixed doubles pair to try to get their country to the top of the podium. It's a really interesting mix this year, and I'm, I'm interested to see which of which, you know which ethos wins out. It's going to be it's to me that's the fascinating part about this tournament. Yeah, and I think this grows directly out of 2018. So prior to 2018, Canada hadn't won a gold medal in the World Mixed Doubles Championship, and it actually had been dominated by a lot of non-traditional curling countries. So Hungary, for instance, won two gold medals early on in the event's history. Um, And Canada opted for a format where they had a big trials, but part of what they did for the Canadian trials is parachuted in a lot of the players that normally play on elite four-person teams. And John Morris and Caitlin Laws won those trials, famously having only done one practice together (laughs) before entering the trials, and then went on a tear through the mixed doubles at the Olympics, winning gold. And then several other countries seem to have followed that format uh, since then. So kind of most notably, Team GB went from before this, they had a specialist mixed doubles program, to now what they do is all the people on their four-person teams on Friday now practice mixed doubles together. So they form their their mixed doubles teams out of their four-person teams. Um, Sweden, the same thing. They kind of form teams out of players from their high-performance four-person teams. But then some of the other countries that are very strong in it, like Norway, 
and Switzerland have teams that have been kind of staples of the mixed doubles tour and primarily mixed doubles teams for, for several years now. And then you have one team that we'll get to later on in this preview that, that they're kind of both, and that's that's Team Norway, and we'll get to them as well. So let's start by previewing the teams, and we will go in alphabetical order, and we start with Australia with Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt. We got to learn a lot about Tali and how she got into the sport when we interviewed her mom over the summer. So go and listen to that episode all about curling in Australia. Um, the interesting thing about Australia, there are no dedicated curling clubs in the entire country. So Tali and Dean spend most of their time in Canada. They had a breakout performance at the 2019 World Mixed Doubles Championship where they finished fourth. And they've kind of parlayed that into this Olympic berth. They doubled down. They started playing a lot in Canada. They even hired John Morris, who we'll get to next, as one of their coaches. He was their coach, one of their coaches at the Olympic qualification event uh, in late 2021. And they went undefeated at the Olympic qualification event to get in. So history as Australia will have its first curling representative at a Winter Olympics. Yeah, and that'll be exciting to see. And there is because they've kind of made uh, semifinals before, they're a certain threat for the medal round too. So we should just kind of sleep on Australia just because Australia has never played in an Olympic curling event before. Yep, it's really if they can recapture the magic of their 2019 run, then anything is possible. Yeah, and especially with mixed doubles because it's a bit more of a wild game. It can certainly lead to a few more upsets. Uh, it's very easy at any point in time to score a big end or give up a big end. So basically anything's possible in mixed doubles in a way that perhaps the four-person game can be a bit more predictable. And Team Australia will be without Coach John Morris because he's playing and he's, he's playing for Team Canada. Yeah, so this is probably the most controversial team. <laughs> and, and in some senses, it should be the least controversial team. A non-controversy controversy. Well, but what is a curling controversy except a non-controversy? <laughs> so, um, so Canada's mixed doubles trials were supposed to be late December, early New Year, and they were canceled because of the Omicron variant and the kind of surge in the pandemic then. Several of the teams that had qualified tested positive before going to the event. So Curling Canada decided to cancel the event. And then they opted to select a team. Um, and whenever you turn things over to bureaucrats, people get upset. And so, this, I mean, to me, it was like the least surprising selection. I think to you too, like we have a, a podcast uh, group chat with uh, our friends from Game of Stones. And right away, I was like, it's going to be Holman and Morris. And then you'll figure out the justification for it <laughs> afterwards. Uh, the argument against was that there is something called the Canadian Mixed Doubles Rankings, and Homan and Morris were fifth on that. But that was that was designed as a way to qualify teams for the trials, not as a kind of proxy for the trials. And partly that's because that kind of you accumulate points in a bunch of ways in that system, and so a lot of the a lot of the four person high performance teams were obviously doing 
run run-ins for the Canadian Olympic trials for the four-person version, so we're not doing much mixed doubles, so couldn't accumulate as much points as some of the mixed doubles specialists had. So Holman and Morris, um, probably the safest selection because you've got the defending gold medal champ. He's played with Kate with uh, Rachel Holman a lot, except in 2018 where Holman was skipping Team Canada and so was in, in the women's event, so was ineligible to play the mixed doubles. And, you know, Rachel Holman has one of the most kind of impressive CVs over the last decade in the women's game. So you're, you, if, if you go by the Canadian theory, which is the mixed doubles is a shooters event, John Morris and Rachel Holman are two of the very best shooters there are out there. And to say they're contenders for gold in Beijing, I think is an understatement. Um, I think they'll be the favorite for gold. And honestly, of the entire... Olympic program in Beijing. My best bet, if you are if you are a gambler, I think my best bet is Homan and Morris to win gold in the mixed doubles event. I mean, I think it's a safe bet if you just go by shot percentage, for sure. Um, the case against, I think, is well, Rachel Homan. Rachel Homan, I'd say, is kind of a front, she's a classic front runner, right? A lot, of, a lot of ways, the probably the best analogy is like Tiger Woods, right? T- Tiger Woods won a lot of majors, but he never won a major coming from behind. Rachel Holman gets in front and then she just destroys you. That's her basic game plan. And she does it a lot. And she's very good at that. But if teams stick with her, then in the women's game, certainly, she's uh, a little bit less of a grinder, grinder out or kind of curler, if that makes sense. And so she, they might be vulnerable in that sense, but... Aside from that kind of one weakness, I'd say definitely in terms of um, shooting percentage, they're they're kind of the best team there. And I think their record's pretty good. I think the guys on Game of Stone said they were something like forty six and two when they played together over the last couple of years. They play a lot in the Continental Cup together, and kind of in that format, they've done very well. And they also play a lot on tour when they're not busy pursuing the four person game. Yeah, they only got to play in one event together this season and of course they won it so they're coming in uh, they're coming in undefeated for the season into into the Olympics up next is China who will be represented by Fun Su Yuan and Ling Ji Fun played a heavy mixed double schedule in Canada and Europe during the 2019-20 season that included two second place finishes. However, she has not represented China since 2015 when she competed in the Audi Winter Games in New Zealand as a 15 year old. Ling was part of the Chinese mixed doubles pair that went four and five at the 2021 Worlds. Four years ago in Pyeongchang, China was represented by Wang Rue and Ba De Xin. They went into the 2018 Olympics coming off second and third place finishes at Worlds, but they only went four and four in Pyeongchang. Since then, we haven't seen them represent China as the mixed doubles pair at Worlds. And since then, the best China has done at Worlds is ninth. You know, China gets the berth in as the host country. I don't want to kind of completely write them off, but they've they've been doing very little competition internationally since the pandemic started. And while you can throw, you know, hundreds of rocks a day and practice all you want, there's no substitute for kind of on-ice match experience. So I think that will be the big question with China. Yeah, we have not seen any Chinese players in competition 
since the 2021 Worlds. Up next is the Czech Republic, and like Australia, the first time that a Czech team is in the Olympics. Yeah, and this is again one of these specialist teams. So they've spent a lot of time on tour. They're one of the more experienced mixed doubles partnerships out there. They've represented the Czech Republic at five world championships. They won a bronze medal in 2013, and they're usually threatening for a playoff spot at the world championships. That's right. Uh, Zusana Palova and Tomasz Powell together, they have three top five finishes at Worlds, including, like you said, a bronze in 2013. They earned the final direct entry into the Olympics at the 2021 Worlds by beating the U.S. in a one-game winner-take-all playoff. So they have faced the most high pressure of situations and come through. I do think that they're still kind of a, a dark horse. They're, as you said, one of the most experienced mixed doubles teams on tour, and they're usually a playoff threat at Worlds. But sometimes they struggle to generate big ends with Hammer, especially against some of the better teams in the field. They're one of the better teams without Hammer, honestly, and they showed that at the, at the, at the last Worlds. But with Hammer, getting multiple point ends, especially when you're fe- facing the cream of the crop during big tournaments like this, uh, you got to be able to, to convert with Hammer. Up next is Great Britain. They are represented by two Scots, Jennifer Dodds and Bruce Mowat. Dodds and Mowat are actually the defending world champions in mixed doubles. They're both very successful with their four-person teams as well. Mowat has a legit claim as the best stone thrower on the planet right now and has won or placed second in every major tournament he's competed in over the last 12 months. And Jonathan Dodds showed a lot of poise in leading them to last year's world championship. Yeah, and so what's interesting is uh, Bruce Mowitz now is kind of either the top skip or the second best skip in the world, depending on who you ask, over the last year. But he actually came up in the adult game playing mixed doubles first to the British curling program and then switched over to the four-person team at the start of the last cycle. So his early experience in kind of elite international curling was in mixed doubles. And I actually think that a lot of the strategies from there have kind of moved. He's kind of brought them over to the four-person game. He's very comfortable around the forefoot and very crafty with how he sets up his angles. And I think all of that comes over from the mixed doubles game. So um, while he's known right now as being potentially the best men's skip, he's he's actually always been kind of for the last seven years one of the top mixed doubles players also. Yeah, and they're, they're definitely a contender, uh, not just to medal, but to win gold. I imagine they'll be probably second or third favorite behind Homan and Morris coming into this. Yeah, so they saw that... 83% at last year's world championship. And if they keep that up, they'll be very tough to beat. Um, back, Caitlin Laws and, and John Moore shot in the mid eighties at the last Olympics. So most of the teams in mixed doubles shoot in the seventies because there's no sweepers there. It's, uh, or you only have the one sweeper, the half sweeper in mixed doubles. Um, shooting percentages tend to be a bit lower. Uh, so to kind of keep a percentage that's pretty close to what you get in the four person game is very impressive. 
Up next is Italy, and they will be represented by Stefania Constantini and Amos Moshaner. Constantini is the skip of the Italian women's team, which came just short of qualifying for the Olympics on the four-person women's side. And Moshaner is the third on the Italian men's team that we will see later on uh, in the men's competition at the Olympics. They finished fifth at the 2021 Worlds to qualify. They lost to all three of the elite teams that they played, but they won all of the, the coin flip games that they needed to in order to qualify. Yeah, and they're definitely, I'd say they're more in the dark horse category, wouldn't you? Like they're, they're good tour players in the four-person game, but haven't really put together any kind of run in a world championship that would make you think they're, they're a medal threat. Now on to one of the contenders for gold, and that is Norway, represented by Kristen Skaslian and Magnus Nedregotten. They're one of the most successful mixed doubles teams in the history of the discipline. They were awarded a bronze medal at the 2018 Olympics after the Russian team was disqualified due to a failed drug test. They also have five top five finishes at Worlds, including a silver in 2021, where they lost in the final to Team Scotland. Yeah, so they're one of the highest ranked teams on the tour. Uh, they've been playing this a long time. They've played in every major mixed doubles event over the past year, and they're almost always in the conversation at the end of the week. So they're a definite favorite to make the medal round and potentially even win the whole thing. The one question mark on their resume, however, is that they haven't yet won a gold medal in seven world championship appearances. And so an Olympics is always a tough place to make a gold medal breakthrough. And they're interesting because they are on the four-person teams that more often than not represent Norway internationally, yet they also find the time to dedicate themselves to mixed doubles. I think they're kind of a rarity in that sense. Yeah, they're definitely... I'd say they're, or at least they're known as mixed doubles first and four person second, but they're definitely pl playing a fairly heavy tour schedule in both disciplines. Yeah, Skastlian, she usually throws fourth rocks for the Norwegian women's team, but does not skip. That's Marian Rorvik that skips that team. In fact, she, uh, Kristen Skastlian skipped the, and by skipped, I mean she did not participate uh, in the recent world uh, qualification event uh, with the Norwegian women's team so that she could uh, <laughs> so that she could prepare to go to Beijing. Up next is another contender, and that is Sweden. They will be represented by Almeida Deval and Oscar Eriksson. Uh, while not as highly ranked as some of the other teams in the field, they did win bronze at last year's World Championship. Ericsson plays third for the Swedish men's teams and throws one of the fastest stones on tour. Uh, Deval competes on the women's tour with the uh, Rana team. Both were at the very top of shooting percentages at the 2021 Worlds. In fact, they were unbeaten at 2021 Worlds until they lost in the semifinals to Skastlian and Nedregotten, and then they beat Canada for bronze. Yeah, so they're a very strong team. This is a bit more of the shooter's philosophy, right? Because Oscar Eriksson's kind of famous for being Nicodine's third, so kind of third on the, the, last, what, the last four in a row world championships. So 
Um, but they also do mixed doubles, not as much as some of the other mixed doubles focused teams, but they've had a very impressive record when they've showed up at mixed doubles events. Oscar Erickson in particular, because he also won a world championship with uh, Anna Hasselberg. Uh, also interesting for this team in their most recent tournament, which was held in December, they went unbeaten again until they lost to Skasli and, and Nedregalton in the final. So that's their kryptonite. I think so. That's interesting. The Sweden-Norwegian rivalry extends to mixed doubles, and so far it's been Norway getting the better of them. It'll be interesting to see if it remains that way at the Olympics. Up next is Team Switzerland. This is Jenny Perret and Martin Rios. You may recognize them if you watched the 2018 mixed doubles competition where they won silver. They are back and looking to add to their medal collection. They have also won two World Mixed Doubles Championships. That was in 2012 and 2017. And they play one of the heavier mixed doubles schedules of the teams in this event. They got here um, by placing sixth at Worlds in 2021, where they only went five and four during the round robin. And then they qualified thanks to having the head-to-head tiebreaker over the U.S., then they got into the playoffs and immediately lost to Canada. I mean, any other time you would say that they're one of the favorites, but I mean, they're they're a team that their their recent results wouldn't lead me to say that they are a contender to win gold, despite them being one of the best mixed doubles teams in the history of the discipline. Yeah, so this is where the debate kicks in, right? Like they were a dominant team in the mixed doubles focus prior to 2018, and they're still very dominant on the mixed doubles tour. But they tend to struggle in big events like World Championships and Olympics, and and not in the events themselves, but in the medal round when they run into these teams of shooters from the four person game, and so. I guess the big debate is what the future of the format is, right? Does the format favor specialists? And honestly, early in the, in the discipline's history, because of some of the weird features like the single sweeper and like the, the strategy, the theory was that eventually you'd have mixed double specialists who kind of just mastered that sport and then would only do it. But it actually turns out so far, at least, that shooters can drop into this discipline uh, kind of th- play at one or two events together and then do well. And so until you have a team that basically only focuses on mixed doubles, but it can also shoot in the mid eighties, you're probably not going to have mixed doubles specialists. And that, that might be one of the things that kind of stalls the growth of the sport because the, the four person teams have to play on tour and chase TV events and big money there to basically fund their seasons and if those big name people aren't participating in a mixed doubles tour, it's going to be very hard to get funding for a mixed doubles tour if those those events are kind of missing stars, so to speak. The four-person game has Grand Slams, which have the larger purses on tour. And until you have that level of money into a mixed doubles event, I think you're going to see exactly what you just said. Uh, so to Prey and Rios, they are the gold standard of mixed doubles specialists. And I mean, how they perform in this Olympics could go a long way to showing all of us what the what the future of mixed doubles is. Yeah, I think I think this is a big event for the mixed doubles discipline future, whether it 
Because I think there's some people that really want it to become a parallel to the four-person game. And yeah, John Morris, I think, is the biggest advocate for it, actually. Mm-hmm. Like he he's, you know, hosting events. He plays primarily mixed doubles these days. He almost flips it around where he'll like show up for Team Cooey for the Olympic run, but then the other three <laughs> years of the quad, he uh <laughs> he's playing mixed doubles. But um it's not getting the TV exposure yet and not getting the big prize purses. And so I don't know if it changes or if a lot of Olympic federations just say, you know what, we'll we'll let our kind of top, we'll put together a mixed doubles team of our top shooters at the last minute and uh, we'll be fine. The final team in this field is the United States and they are represented by Vicky Persinger and Chris Plies. Persinger plays second for team Cordy Christensen. And Plies plays third for Team John Schuster, who we will see represent the U.S. once again in the men's event. They got here by winning U.S. Olympic trials, where they went 6-3 and three in round-robin play and eventually beat Jamie Sinclair and Rich Ruinen in the final. And then they qualified for Beijing. They went unbeaten at the Olympic qualification event the same way that Australia did in order to get into the Olympics. I do think this team is a bit of a dark horse. The U.S. doesn't have a great history in mixed doubles. In fact, in the last four world championships, they've got one finish above eighth. And as you said, Jonathan, kind of four-person specialist parachuting in, that team that finished uh, above eighth, that was uh, John Schuster playing with Corey Christensen, winning bronze in 2019. If you go with the shooters theory, this is a strong team for the U.S. to put in, right? Chris Plies has been, you know, one of the best rock throwers in U.S. curling his entire career, you know, on the planet now also. Vicky Persinger, same thing. So you've got a really good partnership there. Uh, But as you say, there's not much of a track record for the U.S. in mixed doubles events. Yeah, they, this this pair is definitely the best that the U.S. has to offer, in my opinion. They they won the 2021 U.S. Championship and then won the Olympic Trials and then went undefeated at the Olympic Qualifier. The only thing is, due to the pandemic, they haven't been able to face a lot of elite comp- competition lately outside of other U.S. teams. Yeah, so, well, I mean, that's kind of the same for a lot of teams. Um, so... I personally think this event's going to favor the favorites <laughs> just because a, most of the favorites have been around a while and had a bit more experience. And most of the favorites are also the best shooters percentage wise. So if I was handicapping it, I would probably go defending world champs, Moet and Dodds, and then Homan and Morris as kind of co-favorites to, to win the whole thing. And then some of the specialists in that next year. So uh, Norway and Switzerland and Sweden would probably be in the next year. Maybe the U.S. kind of on the bubble of that. And then the rest of the field is kind of dark horses, but certainly pulling off an upset perhaps. Yeah, I know. I know I'll be in addition to the U.S. team because I am an American. I'm, I'm definitely going to be rooting for Australia and Czech Republic as the new kids on the block. It'd be great to see them do well, especially Australia where you know we, we talked to Lynn Gill back in the summer and it sounds like getting here goes a long way towards getting a dedicated ice rink in Australia and this team doing well at the Olympics would go even further toward accomplishing that for that country. For a lot of these emerging countries, they don't even have a dedicated curling rink yet. 
And going from zero to one dedicated curling facility is just huge for curling in that country. And if Australia could get at least just one, just one yeah. four sheet dedicated curling rink out of this, I, I just know how passionate the Australians are just given how far they fly just to play in events. Like they fly five hours to go play in events. Um, they fly to New Zealand for their national mm-hmm. championships. They're that dedicated. And New Zealand is not a close flight to Australia. I know for, to Americans it seems close, but it's not a short flight. Um, so that would be fantastic. And similarly be fantastic if some of the other countries like the Czech Republic, which does have dedicated facilities, but is you know, kind of not quite in the, say, the top six, seven, eight teams, countries in the world historically, could use this as a way to grow the sport in their country. Um, mixed doubles, I think, does provide a slightly easier path for countries to punch through and kind of get a bit more international profile. Yeah, and it was great to see two teams that had never been to the Olympics before to get those, basically get those two extra spots. This is the first time that it's been a 10-team competition at the last uh, at the last Olympics there were only eight mixed doubles teams and adding those two slots allowed us to get two countries that had never been in Olympics before to to the Olympics so that's going to be fun to see um, if you are new to curling please check out our welcome to curling series where we try to explain all of this and explain what you might be seeing even during the mixed doubles competition uh, and please drop us a line you can find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast, and you can find us as Rocks Across the Pond on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.